0: listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. I left here last Sunday after spending time in First Peter with you, a little bit um, challenged in my thinking. I talked to my wife about it when we got in the car. Throughout the week, I've talked to different people that I've been in contact with. And here's the question that I've been living with. Over this past week, when people spend time in my presence, when people are hanging out with me, do they walk away having seen Jesus through me? So, when people spend time hanging out with me, do they walk away saying, I felt love, I felt grace, I felt kindness, I felt cared for? I felt all of those things that I would feel if I'd been in the presence of Jesus. And I got a feeling I'm not the only one who left here last Sunday. Asking those kinds of questions. How many others would say, you know, Rick, I walked out of here Sunday and I was asking myself after hearing that song at the end, are people seeing Jesus, you know, in my life as well? Because when I read the New Testament, here's what happens. People spend time in the presence of Jesus. And then after they spend time in the presence of Jesus, they go tell their friends, hey, you've got to come and see. They want others to meet him. People were so drawn to Jesus. Even people who were not like Jesus really liked Jesus and were drawn to Jesus. And I'm wondering, do you and I as followers of Jesus Christ, Jesus living in us, do people hang out with us and feel drawn to us? And walk away saying, I don't quite understand exactly what it was, but there's something different about that person. So over these last few months, I've been spending time in my morning devotions with with a guy whose name is uh, Thomas Akempis. He lived in the 13 and 1400s, and he wrote a book that has become one of the classic devotional books of all time. The name of the book is, let it soak in, okay? The Imitation of Christ. So living my life to try to imitate the life of Jesus. And Akempis says, Christ compels us to His way and to His life. Christ compels us, calls us to His way and to His life. And so Kempis concludes that the life of Jesus Christ then should be our first consideration. So when you think about your life and the person that you want to become... And the person that you want to be. And the person that you want people to experience when they're around you. What is the pattern and what is the example that you're trying to live up to? What is the goal? And Akimpa said it should be nothing short of Jesus himself. We believe so strongly in becoming more like Christ that we have plastered the words on our west for your wall. And we've said that as a community of believers we are passionate about becoming like Jesus and helping people to know Him. And so as we dive back into 1 Peter this week, he leaves us with a question. And he says, it's a question that you've got to ask in every situation. In every situation, we must ask this question. What does it mean for me to follow in the steps of Jesus? And I'm using exact language right out of Peter's letter. In every situation... No matter what situation you find yourself in, you've got to ask the same question over and over again. In this situation, what does it mean for me to follow in the steps of Jesus? And what we're going to learn as we work our way through the passage this morning is something that you already know. There are some situations where it is much easier to follow in the steps of Jesus than it is others. There are some situations where it feels almost impossible and there's others where it feels more attainable. We'll work through that together. So, what I want you to do is open your Bible to the book of 1 Peter chapter 2, and we're going to start with verse 18, okay? 1 Peter chapter 2, we'll begin with verse 18. We've talked over the last few weeks that Peter's writing to people who are Gentiles, non-Jewish people. However, they have been converted to Christianity, and they're living in an area called Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. He writes this letter hoping that after the One congregation reads it. They'll pass it to the next congregation, and they will read it, and they will pass it to the next congregation, and they will read it, and they will pass it to the next congregation, and they will read it, and it will go through all of those churches in that area. So it's a circular letter meaning to go to many, many different congregations. We also remember that they are not only being threatened about persecution, but they are being persecuted because they follow Jesus. And we've been saying for weeks now, That when you're in crisis and you're living in times of such great uncertainty, you tend to focus only on what? That which is essential. And so, Simon Peter today is saying Christ likeness is essential. Now, before I read these words to you, I'm going to warn you it's going to get awkward, you're going to feel uncomfortable. Some of you are going to shift in your seat, some of you are going to stare at the carpet. For many of you, even as I read these first words, you're going to have questions popping into your head. One of the questions that's going to pop into your head is, why in the world is that in the Bible? And I may not answer every question you have about these words that I'm going to read in a moment that are going to make you uncomfortable, but I think I will answer a lot of the questions today in the time that we spend together. So brace yourself. Here we go. Slaves. In reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. See what I mean? For it is commendable... If someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. In other words, if it's because of their love for God and because of their convictions, that's a commendable thing. But how is it, to your credit, if you receive a beating, he's talking to slaves for doing wrong and enduring it. But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, then this is commendable before God. To this you were called. Because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example, and here are the words, that you should follow in His steps. He committed no sin, no deceit was found in His mouth. When they hurled insults at Him, He did not retaliate. When He suffered, He made no threats. Instead, and Simon Peter is offering an alternative response to slaves who have been Mistreated by their owners. Instead, he entrusted himself to him, meaning God who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. This is the outcome of the suffering of Jesus, of the non-retaliating spirit of Jesus. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. So it's going to take a lot of explaining, isn't it? There is no way in the world that I can open my Bible to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18 and not have an image in my mind. And here's the image. It's an image that I got from a movie a few years ago. It's a white man standing on the porch of a beautiful colonial home, an estate. Open in front of him is a Bible that he reads from. And lined up in front of him, shoulder to shoulder, are about 15 African-American slaves. And these are the words that he reads to them. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. And the slave owner uses the Bible as a proof text, and more particularly, First Peter chapter 2 verse 18 is a proof text to condone slavery in America in the 1800s. And not only was he using it as a proof text, but he was also using it to try to bring his slaves into submission. So there's just a few things that I've got to say before we go any further. The first thing that you have to hear me say, and you must understand is that Simon Peter was by no means condoning slavery. He was talking to slaves who had been born again, who had come to know Jesus in a personal way, whose sins have been forgiven, and are now asking the question, how do I live out Christianity in my context, in my situation? So let me say this to you. When Jesus, when Jesus said, if someone strikes you on the cheek, turn to him the other also, Jesus was not saying, I'm condoning the person Or the behavior of you being struck on the cheek. I'm not saying that was okay or that was good. I'm saying that when you're in that situation, here's how I think as a follower of Jesus, you should respond. And so when Simon Peter says, slaves obey your masters, he's not condoning slavery. He's talking to a group of people who have found themselves in this context, in this situation. And he's saying, when you're in this situation, as a follower of Jesus Christ, I think this has to be your response. So let me just go on record really clear. I'm going to say it as well as I know how to say it. Nowhere in the scripture, nowhere in first Peter, nowhere in the words of Jesus, nowhere in the teaching of any other biblical writer, do I find anything that says slavery is anything except it is morally wrong. And it is not God's will in any society that has ever existed. Amen? We all agree. However, when Christianity comes onto the scene in the Roman Empire in the first century, slavery was very much a part of that society. You say, how much a part of the society? It's estimated that there was probably as many as 60 million slaves in first century in the Roman Empire. That would mean that there would be in an urban center about a third of the population were in slavery. Now, we have a context that takes us back to American slavery that lasted for a period of about 200 years that ended in the late 1800s. While historians say that it is difficult to compare slavery then to slavery in the Roman Empire, let me tell you something, it was still slavery. I understand that some people willingly in the first century entered into slavery as a path to Roman citizenship. And slavery did not always mean slavery for life. And there were some owners who were not harsh but were kind. Let me tell you something. Slavery then and slavery in America in the 1800s still said that the owner only provided enough food and shelter for the slave to work the next day. The slave had no rights In either setting. A slave was not legally allowed to marry. When slaves cohabitated and the result was that a baby was born, the baby did not belong to the parents but became the property of the slave owner. So when I say that a slave had no rights, I mean no legal rights whatsoever. There was no justice for the slave. And when a slave was mistreated, there was absolutely no ramifications and no punishment. So I'm going to make this as real as I can make it. I carry my phone everywhere I go, my pocket everywhere I go, a phone. I bought this phone and I paid for it. It's my phone. You say, Rick, let's talk about the legal rights of your phone. My phone has no legal rights. What if you mistreat your phone? That's my business. What are your friends going to say if you missed They're not going to say anything. They're going to say, he's kind of stupid. He's hard on his phone. It's a piece of property. And so as harsh as this may sound, in the minds of Romans in the first century B.C., a slave was nothing more than a piece of property. I recoil at Simon Peter's words when he says some are treated harshly because slavery in itself is harsh treatment. All slaves were treated harshly any time in the history of the world. Now, they suffered unjustly We know that when we're mistreated, it is way more difficult to live out what we started this conversation with. And that is, in every situation, in every situation... I've got to ask myself the question, what does it mean in this moment to follow Jesus? And you and I know that when we are treated unjustly, when we are mistreated, when people say unkind things to us or unkind things about us or when people are unkind to us, we know that when we are mistreated, it is way more challenging. It is way more difficult. It requires a lot more grace to follow in the steps of Jesus in that moment. The reason I know this is because Jesus said it in another way. Here's what Jesus said in Luke chapter 6. Jesus said, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners, even people who have not experienced the grace of Jesus, even people who have not been born again can love those who love them. I mean, let me tell you something. You know, if, if you are kind to me, if you're nice to me, if you encourage me, if you love me, if you build me up, if you're always glad to see me, absolutely I'm going to be like Jesus to you. But if you mistreat me, if you say unkind things to me, unkind things about me, if you treat me with unkindness, then I feel way more challenged to follow in the steps of Jesus. So let's just think through this a little bit, okay? So you are driving down the road and you pull into a business and you park your car in a parking space and all of a sudden a car kind of comes rushing in behind you and parks behind you where you can't get out. The door opens, the driver jumps out and says, Hey, you cut me off back there. And you go, I, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't cut you off. Yeah, you did. You cut me. I, I didn't mean to cut you off back there. And the the person attempts to hit you. Are you going to try to hit them back? Or what if somebody hits you with words? Really hard. Do you hit them back? Or what if you've learned that somebody has said something really unkind about you? And it hurts deeply. Do you say to yourself, okay, just, just wait it out. My time will come to get you back. In other words, if somebody hits you, is it like Jesus to say, I'm going to hit you back, but I'm going to hit you harder than you hit me. So I, I think the room is full of people this morning, and there are people watching online who are kind of having this conversation with me right now, and you're saying, Rick, okay, I'm struggling, buddy, because, you know, I, I, I want to be like Jesus. I do. I do. I mean, I grew up in a little church, and we used to sing this song. I have one deep, supreme desire: I want to be like Jesus, Brick. I I, I want to be like Jesus. I really do. But I'm telling you, when someone mistreats me, I mean, it's it's challenging. So, what is the rule of thumb? What is Simon Peter trying to say? How do we navigate this when somebody is unco- When I really want to be like Jesus, but I'm not. I'm meeting those people who are really a challenge to me. They're really difficult. What's the rule of thumb? How do I do this? So you know that Christianity comes onto the scene 2,000 years ago in the Roman Empire. We have 60 million people who are slaves at the time. And Christianity comes with its message, and you may not know this, and some of you may, and some of you may say... Whoa, that is news to me. I came to church this morning, had no clue. This is putting a new slant on this whole New Testament to me. Did you know that many, 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 many slaves became Christians and began to make up the makeup of the Christian church? So here's here's what that looked like. You know, Christianity comes with its message, and what's the message? We are all created in the image of God. We're all the same at the foot of the cross. God doesn't see any difference in any of us. I love Paul's words. He said, we were born by one spirit into one family. Gentiles and Jews and slaves and free all born by the same Spirit, and we form one body. And so it's revolutionary. Here's what that looked like. A slave may go to a local church and be elected the president of the congregation while his owner was a member of the congregation. This is revolutionary. So when we are at home, you have authority over me, but when we're at church, I have authority over you. What Christianity did for slaves, what Christianity did for women, what Christianity did for children was revolutionary. Nothing in the world had ever happened quite like this. And so you say, Rick, I hear you. But what if a slave that Simon Peter's writing to takes his advice and says, you know what, I'm going to ask myself in every situation, even in my station in life as a slave, what is it like in this moment to follow in the steps of Jesus? What if they do that and then they are still mistreated? And Simon Peter says, that's what happened to Jesus. The greatest act of injustice that has ever occurred in the history of the world was when Jesus was put on the cross. You want to talk about injustice? That was injustice. And Simon Peter says, I'm challenging you instead to respond like Jesus did. He committed no sin, no deceit was found in his mouth, he did not retaliate, and he made no threats. C- can you imagine the threats that Jesus could have made, and they would have been real? Do you have any idea that I could squash you with my thumb right now if I chose to? I mean, he could have. Nothing. So this morning, I think it's easy to say, boy, Rick, when I think about being like Jesus, my mind quickly can go to all those times where I don't think I acted very much like Jesus. Instead of taking Jesus' attitude and just say, you know what, I'm going to trust God, and I'm going to trust Him who judges all men justly, I kind of took things into my own hands. And here's what Simon Peter is saying. When you're mistreated, don't take matters into your own hands. Leave them in God's hands. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, rings in my ear. There's one other thing Simon Peter is not saying, and he is not saying that we don't speak up on the part of those who are being oppressed. He doesn't say that ever anywhere in the scripture doesn't say it ever anywhere. In fact, we're called to the opposite. But when I'm being mistreated, Simon Peter says, what if instead of taking things in your own hands, you just left it in God's hands? So when I was a young man, just felt a call to ministry, I went to church one Sunday and a little lady who attended our church said, Ricky. I know that you feel like God's calling you to ministry, and there's a book that I thought you should read, and I wanted to give it to you. And she gave me a copy of a book called In His Steps by Charles Sheldon. The full title is In His Steps, What Would Jesus Do? WWJD has been around since 1896. That's when the book was first published. It sold over 50 million copies. And here's the storyline. One day, a small-town preacher is writing his sermon knock at the door. He gets up and answers the door, and there stands a man who is without a job and makes his plea for help. The preacher finally decides to brush the man off, close the door, and go back to the important task of writing his sermon. And so, on Sunday morning when he delivers that sermon and sets down... That same man was seated on the back row of the church, walks down the aisle, and stands right here in front of the congregation, and nobody stops him. And he challenged all the Christians in that little church to consider their lack of concern for the people who were jobless in that small town. And at the end of his speech, the man collapses into the floor of the church and two days later he dies the preacher was so convicted by the experience so moved and felt so ashamed that he comes back the following Sunday and he challenges everybody who attended the church To begin to live their lives differently. In every situation, he said, what if we ask ourselves the question, what does it mean in this moment to follow in the steps of Jesus and let the guiding question be, what would Jesus do? The rest of the book is filled with episodes after episode of individual after individual who takes up the challenge, experiences life transformation, and many others' lives were transformed as well. I don't want you to see this morning as much frustration as I want you to see possibilities. If if God in His Word calls you, if Jesus compels you to His way of life, then obviously it's a possibility to live by the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us. And so this morning, instead of thinking about the times that you didn't act very much like Jesus, begin to dream about what you can become and what God can do in you and what God can do through you and the work of the power of the Spirit in you to make you more like Christ to the point that when people around you, they will say, I can't quite put my finger on it, but there is something different. When I'm with that person, I feel love. I feel concern. I feel compassion. I feel grace. I feel kindness. Something about that person is very attractive. And I find myself wanting to take my friends to meet that person because there's something different about them. How much could the world be changed? So last night, late, a friend of mine texted me and said, We were out of town and I didn't get to watch your sermon from last Sunday until just tonight. My wife and I watched it, but it reminded me of one of my favorite quotes ever by anybody, Oswald Chambers, who says, Oh, this astonishment that one day it will be when finally the veil has been moved. And the number of redeemed souls in heaven is revealed simply because you were in the habit of taking orders from Jesus. I mean, there's possibilities here. Rick, Rick, I want to be like Jesus. But there are some difficult situations in my life. What if I just say, you know what? I'm not going to take it in my hands. I'm going to leave it in God's hands. I'm going to continue to follow Jesus. Father, give us grace in every situation to be like Jesus, I pray.